Good morning, Hope Reformed Baptist Church. It's great to be with you all this morning. Uh, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Um, But before I do that, I want to uh, just share with you a little bit about our work in Nepal. As Tom's already shared with you, uh, it is our joy to be missionaries to Nepal. It is our joy to be um, sent out by Hope Reformed Baptist Church. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's such a blessing to be back here. And I want to thank all of you who have been so hospitable to us. We've um, been overwhelmed by the love and hospitality that's been shown to us here. And uh, almost, you almost make us not want to go back. But uh, no, that's where we want to be. So we want to be there in Nepal. So let's read Philippians chapter 2. I think it's up on the screen. Uh, We're going to begin at verse 3. It says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. In my message today, I want to speak to you about the kind of mentality or thinking Paul commands us to have in Christ as we go about the world seeking to serve Him and worship Him. It is the kind of mentality that I think we need to have if we're going to accomplish anything of eternal value for the kingdom of God. As Paul calls it, it is the mind that is ours in Christ Jesus. A way of thinking that is in Christ and is to be in us as outlined in the passage that we just read. It is an attitude of humble self-renouncing. It is an attitude of embracing risk in radical obedience for the purposes of God. This way of thinking is vital for you, I think. It's vital for me and all of us in our service to Jesus Christ because there is a very real temptation in this day and age to pass over or neglect an actual and practical imitation of Jesus. I'll say that again. There is a very real temptation in this generation to pass over or neglect an actual or practical imitation of Jesus' risk-taking obedience. We can neglect that. And the words above, uh, we, can, we can take those words and we can overlook them and replace them with something else. A, a different kind of Christianity. A Christianity that is a Christianity of ease, a Christianity that is about accumulating of knowledge and doctrine and not be willing to take that doctrine and, and follow the example of Christ and take risks and follow Him to wherever it is He calls us to go. We could replace it with something that's not, in fact, Christianity, but is an imposter. We live in a generation that is used to comfort and ease. One that is not willing to deny themselves of anything that they want. It is the, this kind of thinking that is exemplified in the, in the Carmen Christi here, the hymn of Christ, that will help you be willing to give up comfort and ease and embrace the purposes of God for your life, whatever the cost. 
We live in a generation that is used to the abundance of information and knowledge, you know, through the internet, social media, even Christian things. We, we, we get so much material. We, we see so many sermons. We, we see so many posts and quotes all over social media. And we hear them, and often what happens is we become cold and indifferent because of the familiarity with it. You know, this, there's the saying, uh, familiarity breeds contempt. Because we hear it so often and we get good teaching, there is a danger that as we sit under that good teaching, we neglect the actual practice of that good teaching in radical obedience to Jesus Christ. We live in a generation that's used to self-promotion. You know, a, a generation that's used to going after our own agenda. You know, we're the TikTok, Facebook, Instagram generation. Everything needs to be filmed. Everything needs to be put up there for everyone else to see. We're not used to humble self-renouncing for something greater than ourselves, to lift up another person or to look out for another's interest, not just our own. It is only an imitation of Christ's humble self-renouncing, Christ's risk-taking obedience to the purposes of God that is going to demonstrate to the world the reality of the message we preach. We must be willing to actually demonstrate what we preach and demonstrate what it is that we hear in God's Word. You know, I was, uh, just the other night I was reading uh, one uh, Hindu or Indian scholar and he was comparing Christianity with Hinduism and he said, you know, uh, he wasn't right about everything, but he said, you know, um, you know we, have, uh, we have great doctrines and great teachings too and it's not a matter of doctrines, it's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of, you know, we can't look, look and say, well, we have great doctrine and then say, well, uh, it doesn't matter if we don't obey it. Because that doesn't work. There are many good teachings out there, many things that are true out there, that are good out there, but it's not just a matter of hearing the doctrines, it's about following and obeying the doctrines. Now, when I talk about the imitation of Christ, I'm, I think I need a little bit of clarification so that no one misunderstands me. Because often we can misunderstand. It says here, I'll say here, it's not an imitation for justification. I want to clarify that this morning. Because we are justified and it is a free gift of God's grace. We're not imitating Christ or obeying Christ to be justified. We're not imitating Christ for salvation. We're not imitating Christ for final justification because all that comes through the gospel as a gift. But what it is, it is an imitation in our worship and service to God. An imitation in a life that is worthy of what Jesus has done for us. It is a biblical way to think about your life and service as a Christian. And it is required of you if you're going to be used by God to, to fulfill the purposes of God in this generation. You know, this is a mentality that was first found in our Lord Jesus Christ, in His incarnation and death on the cross. It is a mentality that was found in Paul, in his ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. It is an attitude that has been, has been found in many of whom God has used throughout the generations. Many of the great missionaries and martyrs that we all love to read about. But it is, it is also a mentality that we're called to have within ourselves. You know, as many of you know, we've been serving on the mission field for the last four and a half years. And um, through that time, I've come to see more and more the need for me to be an imitator of Christ's attitude in my service to others. 
And so I really trust that today as we look and we dive into this passage that, that this biblical imperative to have the mind in you that, was, that is yours in Christ Jesus is an imperative that you're willing to obey. Because it is an imperative that, is, that comes from God's inspired word. And this, this uh, message today is not so much a, a message about mission. It's a message about how you can live on mission in your own context in a way that is humble, sacrificing, risk-taking, obedience to Jesus Christ. So let's unpack this passage a little bit. Uh, uh, this is the famous passage known as the Carmen Christi, the Hymn of Christ. And the Apostle Paul gives it to us as a description of the humility of Christ in His incarnation, an example of Jesus' obedience to the Father for the sake of God's purpose. Now Paul is giving this as an example to follow. You know, notice the context. He, he gives it in the context of, not for theological reflection or debate. You know, we often, you know, we, we look at this passage and we think, well, what's the meaning of Jesus emptying of himself? And we debate, you know, what does kenosis mean and all these types of things. And, and there's a lot of value in, in this passage about what, what, uh, what Jesus' life was or how he lived in the incarnation. But that's not why Paul has given it. Paul has given it as an example for us to follow. If we look, go back to chapter 1, verse 27, uh, Paul is giving this passage in the context of unity for the cause of the gospel. Uh, look at Philippians 1.27. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So that's the context of which Paul is then going to give the karma because he's saying we need to be unified for the cause of the gospel. But what is the life worthy of the gospel of Christ? What is the mind or way of thinking we are to have for the sake of the gospel? It is what Paul will then go into and explain in chapter 2. It is what we see in the Carmen Christi. Paul begins the passage that contains the hymn by teaching us that we are to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do you see that in verse 2? In other words, everything we do is not to be for show, to advance ourselves, but to lift up others and their significance. In the case of Christ, everything he did was for the glory of the Father. His sacrificial death was to glorify the Father and bring men and women to Him. You know, Jesus famously said on the night when He was betrayed in the garden, just before He went to the cross, Not my will, Father, but let Your will be done. These words of Jesus highlight the attitude that was always in Him. Not my will, but Your will, Father. Whatever it is in my life that I want to do, my ambitions, my goals, I give them up over to You, God, for Your purposes. We see this attitude in Jesus' early life when he was a child in the temple. He told his mother, why are you worried about me? Don't you know that I'm meant to be about my father's business? Even as a young child, Jesus knew that he'd come into the world not to live for himself, but to live for his father and obey his father in every single way he could. We see this attitude found in Jesus in John 4 verse 34 when his disciples found him talking to the woman at the well. And this is what he says in verse chapter 4, verse 34. He says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. My food. What, you know, man does not live 
by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is of what we ought to live by and who we ought to live for. So Paul tells us we are not to look at others as more significant than we're to look at others as more significant than ourselves. Jesus, while he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to hold on to. But he became of no reputation. He became a servant and he fully submitted to the Father, even though he was consubstantial with him, meaning he was of the same essence as the Father. He's of the same nature as the Father, equally God, but he did not let that stop him from taking the form of a servant, making himself of no reputation and obeying the will of the Father, even at the cost of his own life. Jesus, in his humiliation, died a death under the wrath of God so that the will and purpose of God could be fulfilled. So whatever it is we do as a Christian should be done not for our own reputation, not for our own praise, or not just for our own interests, but looking out for the interests of others, the benefits of others. And we are likewise called to humble ourselves to serve others for their salvation. Not looking out for what we can get out of it or to fulfill our agenda. You know, Jesus gives, uh, Paul gives Jesus as an example of this. A life that is not seeking a reputation or praise, but living a life that benefits others in every way. A life of humble risk-taking in the service of God's purposes. This is what I want to put before you today. It's this attitude or mind the one is the the one who has this mind is the one that is going to be most useful in the kingdom of God and for fulfilling his purposes one who is humble not self-promoting one who lifts up others and not, is not seeking just to look out for his own interests but to look out for the interests of others one who is willing to put their own lives at risk for the good purposes of God and his kingdom you know, why is it that a person might be willing to cross land and sea, go to another country and face, the da- face dangers, from dangers for their lives and for their children, to preach the gospel to people that often don't want you there? Now, we often think that we, we go to the nations, we go to the people, and, and they're just waiting for us. They're waiting with welcoming arms. Please come, tell us the gospel. That's not the case. We go there, we preach, but often they don't want us there. They, they want us to leave. Why would we be willing to do that? It's not so much for the people themselves, but it's for Christ. It's for the purpose of God. It's because Christ has called us to go out with the gospel to the nations and preach. And that he himself is going to gather people from every tribe, nation and tongue. From everywhere, every nation under heaven. You know, we do that for Christ first, and secondly, we do it because of the love of Christ. You know, Paul himself says this in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 14. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Do you see that in the passage? He says that those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him 
who for their sake died and was raised. You know, Paul has experienced Christ's love. And so he wants others to experience that same love and salvation that he's experienced. He understands that the rest of his life is to be no longer for himself, but for the one who died and rose for him. And because of that, Paul was willing to risk it all. He was willing to go wherever Jesus asked him to go. He was willing to do whatever Jesus asked him to do. This is the mind we are to have in ourselves. If we are going to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Christ. Lives that are an imitation of Jesus' sacrificial life. As Paul says, Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves. This is a command. Allow this mind to be in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This mind of humility, this mind of counting oneself as not as valuable as others. A life of seeking the benefits of others, not just our own. A life of costly obedience to the will of God in the service of God's purposes. It is this mentality that we need to have. Now, if you're a Christian here, you are called to have an attitude of humble and sacrificial risk-taking obedience. Now, when I say risk-taking, I was unsure about putting that word in there, I'm not talking about risk-taking for adrenaline. You know, you know, sometimes when we're driving out, you know, in the mountains, in, in, in the Himalayas, we're driving along the road and, you know, the adrenaline starts to run and you, and you say, this is exciting. But it's not for the excitement of it. It's not for human praise. So I can post videos on Facebook, YouTube about how you can see how dangerous the road is that I drove on. It is, you know, some people enjoy taking risks. They enjoy it's an adrenaline thing. Uh, you know, some people enjoy doing things for appearance sake, for praise, so people can say how bold they are or how, how courageous they are. That's not the reason why we're to do it. Now, I'm talking about taking risks with your own life or your own future for the purposes of God. You know, as, uh, there's a, the well-known American, uh, I'm sorry, well-known, not American, a well-known Armenian preacher, Leonard Ravenhill, he said this, and I think he says it correctly, he gets this right. He says, are the things you are living for worth dying, Christ dying for? Let me repeat that. Are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? I think this is an important question. Many of us could not answer yes to this challenge. For many of us, the things we are living for and giving our attention to are not things worthy of Christ dying for. They are things that improve our comfort our personal ambitions, our reputation. And they are very often not things that are worth Christ dying for. You know, Christ died to fulfill the purpose of God. One of those purposes was, one of those main purposes was to redeem you, to save you. But Christ did not just redeem you so that you would have your ticket for heaven, your fire insurance, so to speak. You know, many people, you know, you get insurance in case your house burns down. Well, you know, many people believe in Christ in case, just in case there's a, there's a heaven, in case, there's, you know, in case there's a hell. That's not why Jesus died for me. He redeemed you so that he might save you, transform you, send you out in the world to live a life, not for yourself, but for him who died for you and rose again. 
He redeemed you so that in partnership with him, you would live a new life of humble obedience for the purpose of God. You know, in the book of Romans chapter 14, verses 7 and 8, Paul says this. He says, For none of us lives to to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die... We are the Lord's. How were the great missionaries of times past and the martyrs, those who gave their lives for Christ, able to do that? That's the question that you and I ought to be asking ourselves. How did they have such faith? How were they willing to die for what they believe? And how are many people today who are in persecuted nations willing and able to die for their faith? It was not for the adrenaline of it. It was not, as far as we can tell, for the praise of men. They did it for their love for Christ and to fulfill the purpose of God. They did it in faith because they believed from God's word that he had called them and they were willing to risk it all because they knew that there was something more valuable than their own life. You know, Paul, in his farewell sermon in Acts 20, he says this. This is an important passage. I encourage you to read it. Acts 20, verse 24, he says this, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul understood that his own life was insignificant in comparison to completing the task that Jesus had called him to do. That was the task of preaching the gospel of God's grace to as many people as he possibly could. Paul was willing to take risks with his life. Paul was willing to go to Jerusalem, even though he was receiving prophetic words through the Holy Spirit, that if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be imprisoned. He was willing to go, even though he knew the risk, because he, 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 knew, he, needed, he needed to go, because God had called him to go to Jerusalem. He did not think of his own life in itself as valuable. He was willing to give over his life and his body so that Jesus might be made known to others. Everything in Paul's life, even down to his eating and drinking, was directed toward the salvation of others. Paul suffered for the sake of God's elect people. Paul's desire was to go out among the nations and preach the gospel, no matter what it cost him, so that the elect of God, God's people, scattered through every tribe, nation, and tongue, as he preaches the gospel, they would come to salvation, join themselves to the church, be saved, and then also be used of God to continue that process of of the gospel going out to the very ends of the earth. Paul, speaking of his ministry in 2 Timothy 2.10, he says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Why did Paul do what he did? He says here, he says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that the elect of God, God, the ones for whom Christ died, would be saved, that we go out knowing that Jesus Christ has a people for himself and he's going to take a people for himself out of every tribe, nation and tongue and we go and we proclaim and Jesus Christ by his grace and the Holy Spirit calls him to himself. Paul 
Paul had this mentality because he learned it from Jesus himself. He learned it from his master in Jesus' teaching and in Jesus' example. Look what Jesus says in Luke 14, verse 26. He says in a very strong passage, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, when we read a passage like this, it's a difficult passage, I acknowledge that, but when we read a passage like this, we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus serious? Does he really mean that? That you must hate your father and mother and sister and brother and that you need to be uh, even your own life or you cannot be his disciple, that you need to bear your own cross and come after him or you cannot be his disciple? In this passage, Jesus teaches us of the need to put him before every other significant relationship in your life. For who is closer to you than your own mother and father? Who is closer to you than your own wife and children or your own brothers and sisters? Well, there's one relationship that's closer than all those. It's the relationship you have with your own life, your own mortality. We are to love Jesus so much more than all these relationships, even our own lives and health, that it could only be described like hatred. That's how much more we're to love Christ and all those other relationships, even our own life. You know, in Job, in the book of Job, when Satan had taken away from Job everything that he cared about, all his possessions are gone, his children are dead. Satan goes to God and he says in verse 4, Job chapter 2, verse 4, he says, skin for skin, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. For a man and woman may be willing to give up all that they possess in this world. They may be willing to forsake even their closest relatives. But their own life is precious. They want to preserve that. So Jesus says here, in comparison to your love for Jesus, we are to hate even our closest relatives. Even our own life is not as valuable as it ought to be, uh, as we like to cherish that if we want to come to Him. And we are able to do that because of what Christ has done for us. Because our eternity is secure. We have eternal life. We love Him because He first loved us. He demonstrated His love by laying His life down for us on the cross. And we are called to imitate that same mind in our relationship with others and our relationships to the lost in hope that God will use us to save His elect and to fulfill His purposes in the world. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for the importance of, and I, I know that it's taught well here in this church, I'm, I'm all for the importance of being a good husband, a good father, a good brother, a good neighbour. These are vital. And we should not take away from that in order to talk about this. But those other relationships, even our own self-preservation, can become idolatrous if not set in the, right, under, in the right context, the context of under Christ, under our love for Christ. 
Those other relationships have to be set under our primary love for Christ. Then we, we measure everything by that. You know, at the end of the parable, Luke 14, verse 33, he, he says this, he says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now the word renounce here is in the middle voice, which just simply means that it's something that one does to themselves. So in this context, we are to be willing to renounce or forsake our closest relationships at times, even our own life, if we want to be Jesus' disciples. And that's what Paul's doing here in Acts 20. He says, I do not count my own life as having any value. He's renouncing himself. My life is not as valuable as the purpose of God. But this renunciation of one's own life is not self-hatred. We're not hating ourselves in a, in, a, in a sinful way. It is hatred of our own life, a renouncing of our own life for a greater purpose, for the kingdom of God, because our own life is to be used for this greater purpose. As Jesus said, we, we need to hate our closest relationships, but we hate them to embrace a greater purpose. Uh, uh, John, in John, uh, Jesus says this also, John 12, 25, he says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Let me read that again. If any, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And then he goes on in verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Follow him in this not loving of your own life and putting it aside for the purpose of God, as Jesus himself did. He, he was obedient even to the point of death on the cross. Extreme obedience, radical obedience, taking upon himself the responsibility to fulfill the purpose of God, to save God's people and to fulfill God's purpose. If we want to follow Jesus, we are to be with him where he is and serving the way he served. And Jesus said he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The giving up of Jesus' life, the giving up of Paul's life and their self-renunciation was for service, not glory here on earth. You know, all the great missionaries and, and many of the people, we, we, we know the stories, we've read them. Many of them, they served for many, many years and they, they didn't see the fruit of their service because they were serving in faith, serving in hope, sowing the gospel, their own lives. Many of them died. They had their mind on what's to come. Your, your life here on this earth is not the most important thing. The most important thing in your life is to follow Jesus, to be found in Him. Paul was able to say to live is Christ and to die is gain because even in death we win. Jesus' cross was his obedience to the Father, to complete the work that the Father had given him to do, to offer himself as a propitiation for sinners. 
as it says in Philippians 2.8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did it for the joy that was set before him, for the purchase of his bride, for his church. Jesus cared little about his reputation in the world and the suffering he would endure. The only thing that he lived for was to accomplish the will of God. You know, Paul, in his final message to the elders in Ephesus, said that he did not count his own life as valuable. What was valuable to him was to finish the task that Jesus had given him to do. Paul counted everything else as lost to knowing Jesus. And we, as Christians in this generation, need to be willing to take risks for Jesus. We need to be willing to live sacrificially for the purpose of God. It's only this kind of humility and this kind of risk-taking obedience to the will of God that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. For the one who died for me, all I can do is live for Him. But often the reasons why we are not unified for the cause of the gospel is our own pride. We do not consider what's best for the cause of Christ. We only consider what best serves our own ambitions, what best serves our own agendas. We're not doing it often for the glory of God. We're often doing it for the praise of man. We're often living for what is in front of our eyes, not living in view of God's kingdom purposes. You know, if we consider the great missionaries of the past, you know, many of them, we, we love to read them. They were willing to leave everything behind for the cause of Christ. They were willing to be of no reputation. You know, we know their names. We know, you know, Hudson Taylor, Adnaram Judson, C.T. Studd. We know these names not because they wanted their names promoted, but because they embraced the call of God in their lives, and they sacrificially went, and as a result, we know their names. It wasn't for praise, for their names to be lifted up. Their names are lifted up because they had this mind in them that was in Christ. They were willing to humble themselves, leave their country, leave their nation, go to another place, work in obscurity, where no one knew them, no one praised them. In fact, they often got much criticism. And they went and did that, and now we know their names. Now we thank God for their lives. They left their homes, they left their countries, they left their families, even sometimes they left their children in boarding school. Or... And many of them would have been of great use in their own countries. And many of them were offered important positions in, in their own nation. You know, think of Adoniram Judson, whose gift of languages and preaching abilities were very well recognised. When he, when he wanted to go, they came to him and said, oh, how, much, how, how much great use will you be here in America, Judson? Why do you need to go there? Why do you want to waste your life over there in Burma? Think of C.T. Studd, a famous cricketer, very wealthy man who gave it all up to go to China. He gave up fame. He gave up his wealth, everything, in order to go to China with the gospel. Think of Jim Elliot. He was at the top of his class in everything. He could have gotten any position he wanted, but he gave it up to die as a martyr 
for an, among an insignificant tribe in South America. You know, there was a letter that he wrote not too long before he died. And in the letter, he, there were, he was, him and these other missionaries were wondering, like, why, is, it worth, is it worth it for us to die for this insignificant tribe, like to give our life in, in this little group of people? Is it worth it? And they answered the question by saying, yes, it is worth it because they remembered the promise of Jesus. And they believed that Jesus was going to take a people for himself from every tribe, from every nation, from every people. And they believed that their ministry among that people group would be fruitful, that God would save many of them. And the only way that God could save that group of people was for them to die. Their, Their blood had to be spilled. Think of the thousands of martyrs who died in the time of Nero. And through their death, the gospel spread and the Roman Empire was overturned. It was through their dying that they won. It wasn't through political government work, advocacy. It was through dying that the gospel overthrew the Roman Empire and then it became Christian. Think of the apostles. You know, we don't know what happened to most of them. We don't know what happened. We don't know. I mean, we have traditions about what happened to them, but it's not written in Scripture. We don't know for sure. We don't know what happened to most of them. And yet their names are written on the gates of the New Jerusalem. You know, Paul could have been a top mind in his generation. Paul was one of the most a genius. He could have been a top mind in his generation, but he counted it all loss. He said, I'm not going to seek my own praise or my own reputation. I'm going to preach this Jesus and suffer for this Jesus. Even Jesus himself. Jesus didn't go to Athens, the the philosophical center of the world. He didn't go to Rome, the political center of the world. He went to Jerusalem. He went to a backwater city of the day. Jerusalem wasn't important in the ancient world. Yeah, Jesus spent all of his time in Jerusalem and Palestine preaching and then dying on a cross. His death seems insignificant. In Hebrews 11, we read about those who walk the earth in faith, forsaking everything, even their own lives, in order to get a better resurrection. They are described as people for whom the world was not worthy. I can think now of the thousands of nameless missionaries who died on the mission field. I was reading a book recently on, on how the gospel spread to Tibet. And uh, I almost wept over the, the lives of these men and women. who They took the gospel and many of them died. No one even knows how they died. Maybe they fell off a cliff. Maybe they were poisoned by the locals. But they died for the gospel to spread into Tibet. Some of them didn't last a year. They took their families. The children died. Their wives died. They took risks for the purposes of God. And often we don't know their names. But their names are written in heaven. They went at even at the danger 
of losing their own lives. And we admire them for that. We admire them because we know that this is the kind of devotion we ought to have in imitation of our Master. As we read Philippians chapter 2, not looking out of our own interest, but looking out for the interests of others, for the glory of the Father. The only way the gospel advances is for us to be willing to humbly seek Christ in his renouncing of his own earthly glory, his taking the form of a servant and living and dying for the purposes of God. What about you? What does that mean for you? Does this mean that you need to become a missionary? Well, as I said at the beginning of this message, this is not a message about missions. Although I hope some of you will become missionaries, God willing. It is about having the mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. It is about living a life worthy of the gospel, a life of calculated risk-taking for the interests of others, a life of obedience where no one sees you but God. No one sees you. It's about humility. Are you willing to serve where you get no reputation? No praise from people? In insignificance for the glory of God. Are you willing to be a servant to others? You know, Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom are those who serve. Are you willing to live a sacrificially obedient life at home, here, or overseas if God calls you? To give up seeking your own will, seeking your own ambitions, and see how God might use you. It's not until you're willing to give that up that you're ready to embrace what God is calling you to do. I'm giving up everything, all my ambitions, everything I want to do, and say, God, I'm here, I'm ready, use me, send me, God, use me. We need to be willing to embrace God's calling, to live for Him, whatever the risk, according to His word, in whatever situation you might find yourself. You know, it might be taking a different job, taking a downgrade, taking a demotion so that you're more available to serve for God's kingdom or going to a different location, a location that is not the best location for you in your business but, but it is the best place that you can serve God's kingdom purposes. I don't know your situation or how God is asking you to live a humble, risk-taking obedience but I do know that we are all called to have this mind in us. For some of you today, you don't know Jesus Christ. So you're not willing to give up anything for Him. But when you come to understand that Jesus Christ is more precious than anything on this earth, that He has given up His life to save you, that you have a sure and secure hope in heaven, then you will understand what's been said here today. Christ is worthy. We love Him. And serve Him because He first loved us. We are willing to say, Lord, here I am, send me. Because He's come into the world and He's died for us. Redeeming us, purchasing our salvation. That's the question I have for you. I want to leave with you. What kind of life are you going to live? Your life will be over very soon. And what kind of life will you have to show for all that you've heard here in this great church where the Word of God is preached, what, what 
what are you going to have as a response on the day of judgment when you stand before Jesus and, and we have to all give an account for everything that we've heard and said and the money that we have and how we've spent it and everything in our lives is to be given over to the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. You sent our Lord Jesus Christ here to this earth and he died. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you gave your life over, that you humbled yourself, taking the form of a servant. And that being found in human form, you humbled yourself again, made yourself a servant and that you embraced radical obedience to go to the cross and die so that you could save us, Lord. And Lord, I pray that many here, that as they reflect on the love of Jesus Christ, what he has done, Lord, that you would make us also willing to imitate you in your laying down of your life for the sake of others and following you, taking up our cross for the purposes of God and for your glory among the nations. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.